Warning, the following podcast is not suitable for all audiences. Trigger warnings from the stories I cover may include violence, rape, murder, and offenses against children. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crime Bay. This is your host, Liz. Life has been very busy, to say the least, but I am so excited to be back. With that said, let's get into Season 2 of Crime Bay, Episode 1. Sandra Renee Cantu was born on March 8, 2001, to Maria Chavez and Daniel Cantu. Sandra lived with her mother, grandparents, and three older half-siblings in a mobile home at Orchard Estates Mobile Home Park in Tracy, California. Sandra's father, Daniel, lived in Mexico and had a very minimal involvement in her life. At the time of this case, Sandra was a second grader at Melville S. Jacobson Elementary School. He was adored by everyone who got to meet her. Sandra was described as bright, innocent, and a friendly girl. He loved talking, coloring, and helping her mom in the kitchen. He enjoyed watching Hannah Montana and visiting and playing with friends in her neighborhood. On March 27, 2009, Sandra was picked up from school by her grandfather. At around 4 p.m., they arrived home, and Sandra quickly changed her clothes to go out and play with her friends. The park where she lived had around 100 mobile homes. It was a close-knit community where everyone knew each other. It was very common for kids to play outside with no adult supervision. That evening, as dinner time approached, Maria began to get worried as Sandra always made sure to get back way before dinner time. Maria began calling around looking for her daughter. Everyone who answered her call told her that they hadn't seen her. So Maria and Sandra's older siblings began to look for her around the neighborhood. When they couldn't find her, the family contacted local police around 7.53 p.m. At the time she went missing, Sandra had been wearing a pink Hello Kitty shirt and leggings. An extensive search was launched for Sandra, which included over 250 volunteers, as well as search dogs and helicopters. Police went door-to-door, interviewing all residents of the mobile home community. But sadly, no trace of Sandra was found. Sandra's picture was immediately distributed to the media so that they may broadcast her story. A reward of $22,000 was offered in return for information about the case. The next morning, the FBI was called in to assist. They looked into all the sex offenders in the one-mile area of the park and rolled them out. Sandra's grandparents had installed security cameras outside of their home. Police checked the CCTV footage and noticed Sandra crossing the street around 4 p.m. the previous day. They noticed that as she made her way down the street, something caught her attention and she went towards that direction. On April 2nd, six days after Sandra went missing, investigators came across a pink Hello Kitty t-shirt. Police at first believed it was Sandra's, but later on, Sandra's mom clarified that that shirt did not belong to Sandra. With the community on a panic, the police left no stone unturned. Initially, Sandra's father, Daniel, was considered a suspect, but Daniel 
was nowhere near his daughter, and he had an airtight alibi, so they immediately ruled him out. Shortly after, police learned of a man named Frank, who two years prior had been caught trying to kiss Sandra at the community pool. This incident was witnessed by Sandra's grandmother in 2007, which resulted in a complaint being filed. Frank was brought into questioning, and he admitted he was attracted to little girls, but claimed he never acted on his feelings. Investigators did a thorough search of his home, his studio, and his car. Additionally, he underwent a polygraph test. Frank was cleared and given a warning. Police also interviewed a man who drove an ice cream truck. He had been seen talking to multiple children around the area. He was also questioned and ruled out. A candlelight vigil was organized in honor of Sandra, but it was disrupted by a woman screaming hysterically. The woman approached the police with the note she had found. This woman was Sandra's neighbor, Melissa Huckabee, a 28-year-old Sunday school teacher. The note was found on Melissa's lawn. The note read, Cantu locked in stolen suitcase, thrown in water, along with an address where the suitcase could be found. Police noticed multiple misspellings which looked intentional, like if the writer was trying to conceal their identity. The police immediately became suspicious of the note and of its finder. Prior to this note, and after Sandra had gone missing, Melissa had sent a text message to Sandra's mother to let her know that around the time that Sandra went missing, someone had stolen stuff out of her garage. Among those items was a suitcase. Police immediately did a search of the location on the note. On April 6, 2009, 10 days after Sandra was last seen, agricultural workers drained a pond that was at the same exact location mentioned on the note. At the bottom of that pond, a suitcase was found. The suitcase had an overwhelming smell of decomposition. The suitcase was tied with a white string. It was immediately taken to the medical examiner's office. The coroner opened the suitcase and discovered the remains of Sandra Cantu in a fetal position. She was wearing the same clothes as the day she had gone missing. Dental records confirmed her identity as Sandra Cantu. The discovery shocked the community. An autopsy revealed that Sandra had been sexually assaulted with a foreign object. She ultimately died from asphyxiation. They also found that Sandra had been drugged with a high dose of Alprazolam, also known as Xanax. At first, police were looking for a male between the ages of 35 to 45. But after learning about the autopsy results, they began to suspect that a woman was involved. Their suspicions soon fell on Melissa Huckabee. After figuring out that the suitcase where Sandra was found actually belonged to Melissa Huckabee, it was the same suitcase she claimed had been stolen from her garage. Investigators visited Melissa's home. Melissa lived with her grandparents and her five-year-old daughter, who was friends with Sandra. Melissa's grandparents told investigators that Sandra used to go to their house often and play with Madison. 
With the permission of Melissa's grandparents, police searched Melissa's car, where they found a notepad that had markings similar to that note that was found. The police also decided to search the church where Melissa taught. During that search, they found a white string, which resembled the one around the suitcase. They also found a rolling pin with a blood smear on it. Both pieces of evidence were sent out for forensic analysis. Police then tried to interview Melissa, but were unable to do so as she was in the hospital for swallowing razor blades. They were told by doctors that they would have to wait to do the interview until she was discharged. Later, a man came forward stating that he had witnessed a woman at the irrigation pond the day that Sandra Cantu went missing. According to his account, he and his wife were driving when they spotted a dark-colored SUV on the side of the road with its door open. The man stated he saw a woman with dark-colored hair, and when he asked her if she needed any help, she responded she simply pulled over to use the bathroom. The description of the car provided by the man matched Melissa's car. Police then decided to look into the 28-year-old Sunday school teacher's background. Melissa Huckabee, also known as Melissa Lawless, was born February 23, 1981, in Orange County, California. In 2002, she pursued a restraining order against a previous boyfriend, accusing him of harassment, threats of murder, and causing harm to her grandfather. In August of 2003, Melissa got pregnant with her then-boyfriend, John Huckabee. The couple would eventually get married. But the marriage did not last, and they divorced September of 2005. In their divorce papers, Melissa accused John of child abduction, alcoholism, and physical abuse. Charges which he denied. Melissa was given full custody of their daughter, Madison. Melissa's family reported that Melissa had mental health issues, such as borderline personality, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia, which was all part of her medical history. Melissa struggled to raise her daughter as a single parent. She battled depression and engaged in self-harm. She was prescribed medications to address her mental health issues. In 2006, police arrested and jailed Melissa for petty theft. Shortly after, she relocated to Tracy in Northern California, where she moved in with her grandparents. After the move, Melissa's mental health began improving, according to some of Melissa's family members. She spent most of her time with her daughter and attended church services with her grandparents. In 2009, three months before Sandra went missing, Melissa had taken a young girl to a park without her mother's permission. Upon returning the child home, the mother noticed that her daughter seemed drugged, displaying slurred speech and distress. The girl struggled to walk and maintain balance. So her mother took her to the hospital immediately and they found traces of Xanax in her system. Police questioned Melissa about the incident and Melissa denied everything. Meanwhile, it was revealed that the girl's mother also had her own struggles with substance abuse. Due to insufficient evidence, that case was dropped. Then, on March 2nd, just 25 days before Sandra went missing, Melissa had drugged a 36-year-old man named Daniel Plowman. 
Reportedly, Melissa and Daniel were dating at the time. Late one night, Melissa offered Daniel a beverage. As Daniel drank the beverage, he recalled a weird taste, and his recollection from that point on began to blur. Several hours later, around 1.30 a.m. the following morning, Daniel was taken into custody for suspicion of driving under the influence. Daniel had driven into a McDonald's drive-thru, ordered, paid for his food, but then passed out at the wheel while waiting on his order. So the McDonald's employee notified the police about the incident. Daniel was later released without being formally charged. While they were looking into Melissa's past, the DNA results from the rolling pin came back, where it confirmed that the blood on the rolling pin belonged to Sandra. It was believed that the rolling pin was used to sexually assault Sandra, and the string that was found at the church matched the one that was found on the suitcase. Once Melissa was discharged from the hospital, she was brought in for questioning. Initially, she denied killing Sandra. But when police presented her the evidence, she admitted to the crime, but claimed it was an accident. According to her version, on that specific day, she intended to take that suitcase to church. However, an unexpected encounter with Sandra prevented her from doing so. She stated that they decided to play hide-and-seek. Melissa claimed that Sandra hid inside the suitcase and that she totally forgot about her and simply drove to the church. According to her, when she got to church, she opened the suitcase and discovered Sandra's lifeless body. She also said that she tried to revive Sandra, and when Sandra didn't respond, she panicked. So she then decided to dispose of the body in the irrigation pond. She firmly denied ever assaulting Sandra. I'm going to play a piece of her interview that I found on YouTube. Police did not buy her sob story, and Melissa was charged with Sandra's murder on April 10, 2009. Police conducted a search of Melissa's computer. Her browsing history revealed a recent search related to the murder of another girl, who had also been stuffed in a suitcase and thrown into the water. This search proved that Sandra's murder was not an accident. Also, the surveillance footage from Sandra's residence showed Melissa driving out of the mobile home park eight minutes right after Sandra was last seen on screen. Melissa's car is seen heading towards the direction of the church. And around the same time that she is seen on screen leaving the park, she called the manager of the mobile home park to report her suitcase missing. Another surveillance camera caught her leaving the church parking lot. Melissa was held in the San Joaquin Valley Jail without bail. 
Sandra was laid to rest by her friends and family on April 16, 2009. In a small pink casket, over 600 people attended her funeral. During Melissa's trial, prosecutors alleged that Sandra's murder was premeditated. Melissa Huckabee took a plea deal to avoid the death penalty. She pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and kidnapping. As part of her plea bargain, she was not charged with sexual assault. Melissa was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She is currently serving her sentence at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Crime Bay. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Crime Bay Official, where I will be uploading pictures of every story we cover. Crime Bay is a podcast executive produced, researched, and hosted by Lisette Cervantes. Sounds designed by Ruben Solorio. You can find all source material for this episode underneath the episode description.